Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. We're going to discuss the case of a gunshot wound to the chest in a 23-year-old male. A 23-year-old male presents to the emergency department after having sustained a gunshot wound to the left chest. He's sitting up on the stretcher and is able to speak. He has diminished breath sounds on the left. His blood pressure is 100 over 50, heart rate is 115, respiratory rate is 27, and his oxygen saturation is 96% on a non-rebreather mask. The patient denies any allergies to medications, denies taking any medications, and has no notable past medical history. A single gunshot wound was noted in the left anterolateral chest wall in the fourth intercostal space. The patient refuses to lay flat and is incredibly anxious. Two large bore intravenous lines are inserted and one liter of crystalloid is given with no improvement in his heart rate or blood pressure. He has palpable and equal radial pulses. At this point, the transfusion of two units of packed red blood cells is initiated. What are the initial steps in the management of patients with penetrating thoracic trauma? As in all trauma patients, the evaluation should begin with the primary survey. During this initial assessment, the first priority should be assessing for adequacy of airway protection. The second priority should be breathing. Assess the adequacy of the patient's ability to ventilate. In chest trauma, this should be a serious concern. Often in patients who develop hemothorax, pneumothorax, or even just significant injury to the chest wall, mechanical ventilation is required in order to achieve optimal oxygenation and ventilation. Interventions to treat the hemothorax or pneumothorax should be performed, but securing a definitive airway is often necessary first. Also in the primary survey, circulation is assessed. Pulses are evaluated, blood pressure and heart rate are monitored, and adequate intravascular access is established. Completion of the primary survey necessitates an expeditious assessment of disability and implementation of exposure and environmental control. These are the ABCs. What is the differential diagnosis for penetrating thoracic injuries? Many lung pathologies may be encountered in the trauma bay. In patients who present with hemodynamic instability after sustaining penetrating chest trauma, three diagnoses must be considered, as prompt recognition and immediate intervention can be life-saving. These diagnoses are pericardial tamponade, tension pneumothorax, and massive hemothorax with hemorrhage from great vessels, the pulmonary hilum, the lung parenchyma, or intercostal arteries. Many of these injuries prove fatal in the field, so it is of utmost importance to make an expedient diagnosis and intervention upon arrival of the patient to the hospital. In stable patients who do not exhibit signs and symptoms of a life-threatening injury, further history and physical examination may prove useful, as may additional radiographic studies. What are the primary physical examination techniques and adjunctive tests that can be used to evaluate the patient with penetrating chest trauma? Classic physical examination findings are often difficult to fully assess in the noisy environment of the trauma bay. 
attempting to diagnose a pericardial infusion by relying on auscultation of muscled, muffled heart sounds is often not realistic. Jugular venous distension may also be absent in the setting of a hypovolemic bleeding patient who also has pericardial tamponade. However, the use of adjunctive radiography and ultrasound in the trauma bay allows for a more accurate assessment. Chest radiography can be suggestive of a pericardial effusion if an enlarged cardiac silhouette is identified. However, in most trauma patients, only a small volume of pericardial blood is needed to cause tamponade, so the size of the cardiac silhouette is very nonspecific for a cardiac injury. Radiography is helpful for identifying the location of retained missiles and diagnosing a pneumothorax or hemothorax. For chest trauma, the focused assessment with sonography and trauma or FAST examination can identify a pericardial effusion with great precision. The cardiac window is achieved by placing the transducer probe in the subxiphoid position and directing the probe toward the patient's left shoulder. If the cardiac view cannot be obtained from this maneuver, either because the patient is obese or has significant abdominal discomfort, a parasternal long-axis view can be attempted. A pericardial effusion can be identified as a black stripe between the cardiac chambers and the pericardium. Tamponade physiology may even be identified with compression of the right atrium or right ventricle. One must be cautious as a cardiac injury cannot be completely ruled out with a negative ultrasound for pericardial effusion. Especially in a penetrating cardiac injury, the pericardium can decompress into the thoracic cavity if there is communication from the missile tract. The E-FAST, or extended FAST, has been adopted to expand the diagnostic reach of the sonographic examination in trauma to further assess thoracic pathology. The high-frequency linear probe is used to assess the patient for a pneumothorax. With the indicator toward the patient's head in a long-axis orientation, the probe is initially placed just below the clavicles in the midclavicular line. The presence of sliding between the visceral and parietal pleura indicates the absence of a pneumothorax in the area being scanned. The ultrasound can even be helpful in attempting to diagnose a hemothorax. When performing the hepatorenal and splenorenal views of the FAST, the probe can be moved just slightly cephalad to now gain a view of the junction between the diaphragm and the chest cavity. With this view, the presence of a hemothorax can potentially be identified. Back to the trauma bay. On physical examination, a single wound is identified in the left lateral chest at the level of the fourth intercostal space with some blood draining from it. A chest radiograph is obtained and reveals a moderate hemothorax and small pneumothorax on the left, as well as a retained missile along the left lateral aspect of the cardiac silhouette. What's the treatment for tension pneumothorax, pneumothorax, and hemothorax? Tension pneumothorax should be suspected and treated even before a chest radiograph is obtained by noting the findings of decreased or absent breath sounds in one hemothorax with tracheal deviation away from the affected side. Needle thoracostomy is a simple temporizing maneuver that can be life-saving in a patient presenting with tension pneumothorax. Pneumothorax and hemothorax are typically diagnosed on chest radiography and should be treated by thoracostomy tube placement. In our patient, a left chest tube is placed with 750 milliliters of blood evacuated. The patient then becomes more hypoxic with oxygen saturation of 80% on the non-rebreather. 
A fast examination is performed and pericardial effusion is identified. The patient is intubated for airway protection, and as the patient is being intubated, the patient becomes severely hypotensive and no femoral or carotid pulse can be palpated. What is the treatment for the hypotensive patient with hemothorax or traumatic pericardial tamponade? The resuscitative thoracotomy can be used to address a few life threatening injuries in the patient presenting with profound refractory shock or recent loss of vital signs. By means of a resuscitative thoracotomy, the following can be accomplished. A pericardiotomy can be made to relieve pericardial tamponade. Temporary control of bleeding from a cardiac laceration with manual compression can be achieved. Control of intrathoracic bleeding vessels or bleeding lung parenchyma can be obtained. And cross-clamping of the aorta to limit continued blood loss from hemorrhage originating below the diaphragm can be performed. The Western Trauma Association guidelines indicate that a resuscitative thoracotomy should be considered in the patient presenting with no signs of life and undergoing cardiopulmonary resuscitation less than 10 minutes in blunt trauma and less than 15 minutes in penetrating trauma or in patients presenting in profound refractory shock. The resuscitative thoracotomy is a left anterolateral thoracotomy. The patient is positioned in the supine position with the arms extended. An incision is made in the fourth intercostal space, just superior to the fifth rib, which is located just below the nipple or the inframammary fold. The incision is extended from the edge of the sternum to the posterior axillary line. The chest should ideally be entered with bold strokes of the scalpel, first dividing the skin and subcutaneous tissues, and then through the intercostal muscles. Finally, the pleura is incised, gaining entry to the thoracic cavity. Care should be made to avoid the intercostal neurovascular bundle. The rib spreader is then inserted with the handle toward the bed and in the axilla, so as to ensure an unobstructed field in the event of needing to convert to a clamshell thoracotomy or bilateral thoracotomy. As the left thoracotomy is being performed, a right chest tube should be placed by another provider simultaneously to assess for bleeding in the right chest potentially identifying the need to convert to a clamshell thoracotomy. Once in the chest, the pericardium should be inspected first. A small incision is made in the pericardium with care taken to remain anterior to the left phrenic nerve to avoid injury. The tense pericardium and pericardial tamponade is not easily incised with scissors, so the use of a scalpel can assist with initially opening the pericardium. The scissors are then used to complete the pericardiotomy longitudinally. The next step is to mobilize the lung by dividing the inferior pulmonary ligament. Then the lung should be retracted anteriorly and the descending thoracic aorta should be identified in preparation to cross-clamp. Large blunt scissors should be used to dissect the pleura overlying the aorta, ensuring that the clamp will not slip. The vascular clamp should be placed across the aorta and if a nasogastric or orogastric tube has been placed, it can assist with identifying the esophagus and avoiding injury. At this point, if a bleeding lung injury is identified, it can be addressed with various maneuvers, such as performing a tractotomy or in desperate circumstances, performing a hyalur twist. In the somewhat rare instance that a patient presents with a traumatic hemopericardium but has not yet developed significant tamponade physiology and hence is able to maintain a perfusing blood pressure, a median sternotomy is an excellent surgical approach. 
If tamponade is encountered, the pericardium is incised with the scalpel and the remainder of the pericardium opened with scissors. The phrenic nerve is posterior, so should be avoided in the median sternotomy approach. With the heart exposed, a cardiac injury can be identified and repaired. Care should be taken to ensure there is no concomitant posterior cardiac injury as well. The patient in our case undergoes an emergency room thoracotomy. The pericardium is opened and an injury to the left ventricle is identified, which is initially controlled with the surgeon's finger. The patient regains a perfusing rhythm and the ventricular injury is primarily repaired with plugeted sutures. He is transferred to the operating room for further exploration and then to the trauma intensive care unit for further resuscitation. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.